Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of February 22nd, 2021, as we return to our normal weekly format, releasing episodes on Mondays through spring training. Getting excited to preview each part of the Chicago White Sox 2021 roster until we hit opening day. And then we'll bring back White Sox Wake Up Calls and Sox Machine Live to have a new episode for you Monday through Friday starting on April 1st. As we shift from off-season mode to preview mode, on this episode, we'll be discussing what the top White Sox stories are to follow this spring training camp. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. After weeks of brutal cold, especially in Chicago, and unfortunately most of the country is suffering, It's nice to see video of the White Sox getting into action down in Arizona and serves as a great reminder that we are just 38 days away from opening day. Yeah, although I think it's been cold enough, certainly in Chicago, there's been plenty of snow, but even in Nashville, we were snowed in all week because they don't really have plows here or they they take care of the main roads. They take care of the uh, take care of the interstates, but anything that's like neighborhood or Lesser is just a mess and schools were closed all week. Uh, You know, state offices were closed all week. So I was basically snowbound for the entire week. So to see the footage of ballplayers doing baseball things is both refreshing and uh, infuriating. (laughs) 
But we're finally starting to break out of that now. So I think uh, I'll start getting in the swing of it and not resenting it. We'll start resenting it when we see the beat reporters as they are making their way down to Arizona this week as they'll be tweeting out photos. Oh, look how beautiful Arizona is this week. You jerks. Uh, yep. <laughs> especially when the weather is still terrible in Chicago, but at least it's starting to warm up a little bit. And now we'll just have flash flash flooding with all the snow melting uh, that we've gotten the past couple of weeks. So yes, more footage from Arizona, Chicago white Sox. That'd be great uh, to at least warm our cold hearts uh, in the Midwest. But as far as this episode, again, this is our opportunity to kick off our 2021 spring training coverage. And I asked as far as our Twitter followers, which you can follow us on Twitter. We are at socks machine and you could follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. What do you think is the most important thing to watch this spring training for the Chicago white Sox? And I gave our listeners four options. Tony LaRussa bonding with the team. It is a new manager. There's been a lot of conversation as far as his hiring and how will he bond with such a young team after being away from managing baseball teams for a decade. The plan for Andrew Vaughn and Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez, can they make the necessary adjustments to be effective for the White Sox? And Yohan Mikata, can he return back to his 2019 form? We are going to discuss each and every single one of these four options, and then we'll share later in this episode uh, what our fans and listeners chose as their number one uh, key story to follow during the spring training. But let's start with Tony La Russa, Jim. And there was a mm-hmm. lot of hoopla this past week. Thanks again to Bob Nightingale uh, and his reporting in USA Today. And in his report, in his story, which was really about Tony La Russa coming back into Major League Baseball, there was a sentence in that entire story that really set off people in Chicago. And it's the fact that La Russa told Jerry Reinsdorf about his DUI situation, but Jerry Reinsdorf didn't tell anyone else in the organization. I do have to say, when it comes to La Russa and what he has been saying since uh, the whole DUI situation, then ultimately it ended up not being a DUI as he settled. Uh, as someone that has been very critical of La Russa since the hiring happened and then shortly the DUI was announced. Uh, again, if you didn't listen to those episodes, I have lost family members to drinking and driving. It is a very serious situation with me. And what I am now noticing as far as my reactions on how La Russa is talking to the media and the things he's saying, Jim, is that I think he's saying the right things. He's owning up on how he screwed up. Again, this is the second time he's done this. And I think he's being very forthright with the media when they are asking him about the situation and how it's going to reflect on the players that he's managing and how uh, he is going to be able to bond with them. I just don't want to read about La Russa and a DUI again. And if the situation does happen, that I hope that the White Sox do not think twice and let him go and find somebody else to manage because clearly there is an issue. There's an off the field issue here that's being a distraction. So while I give La Russa a lot of credit uh, as far as what he is saying in the media and he is owning up to his mistake, 
The White Sox front office, I have just decided for myself, Jim, and what I've settled on is that they're never going to be forthright about this hiring process. Well, maybe mm-hmm. one day in a book written by Bob Nightingale, but I don't <laughs> expect Rick Hahn or Jerry Reinsdorf to speak in detail what transpired prior to hiring Tony La Russa. I still think it's the wrong hire because of how the White Sox went about it. They may get the desired result. Tony La Russa could manage the 2021 Chicago White Sox to winning the World Series. I don't necessarily think the ends justify the means of how they got there. Uh, but so far, the players like Tim Anderson seem to be open, accepting Tony La Russa as their new manager and things so far, at least on the field and in the clubhouse, uh, is not where the drama is residing. That's not where people, especially in Chicago sports radio are talking about the white Sox. A lot of attention has been what's going on in the white Sox front office. Again, this is a long way of me asking you, Jim, because you've been covering and writing this team for so many years. And you and I lived through the, the love fair LaRoche uh, situation. Mm-hmm. What do you make of this one sentence that, Jerry Reinsdorf knew about LaRusse's DUI, but didn't bother telling Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn about it. Does it matter now that we are here in spring training on February 22nd? It only matter. It doesn't matter now. Uh, you know, as it stands, you know, with LaRusse's first, you know, few days in the seat, you know, especially since he didn't really have any Sox Fest appearances, no public tours, you know, winter meetings were canceled. So he didn't have like the, uh, uh, hold court with the reporters in the scrum, you know, say, or actually like sitting at a table while reporters throw questions at him. He didn't have any of the typical uh, preseason, you know, off-season experiences that managers go through, especially first-time managers or return managers in this case. But so this is really the first time that he's had to, you know, I, I guess handle questions from all angles and, um, you know, whether it's asking about how he was hired, asking about what he thinks of, you uh, you know, some player you might not get along with or is not in the typical Arusa mold. And, you know, there was, a, I, I suppose, an off chance that he could have come in hot and, and said, uh, you know, new sheriff in town, my way or the highway. You know, this is what I'm in task to do. But I think he's been doing a good job of just, you know, not doing that. Um, you know, just um, getting to know the players, um, being, you know, so far very effusive in his praise of players. Like you're talking about Michael Kopech a couple of times now, he's talked about just loving the way he looks and uh, not really thinking anything about his opt-out situation last year. And Tim Anderson, the, the, the words have been positive so far. So I think that's pretty important, you know, first step. And I think when it comes to, you know, whether this matters, I think it only matters if something else happens. If you see players being doghoused, if you see, um, you know, if they get off to a terrible start, if there is some kind of off the field issue, you know, whether it's DUI or some kind of other thing where you're hearing murmurs, that's where I think, you know, the, the story of Reinsdorf, you know, basically keeping all the information uh, private, which I do believe, by the way, just because the White Sox response communications wise was so inept, mm-hmm. uh, needing three days to actually say, you know, we, we take this very seriously. <laughs> you know, they basically, their first answer was, of course we knew, which is what you would say if somebody asked you if you knew something and you didn't. You would just pretend, yeah, 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 well, of course. And then you scramble around and try to figure out what the hell is happening and then come up with a response that takes days, you know. Uh, that, that struck me as, you know, really made sense in the way Han didn't refute it. I think he would have refuted it if it weren't true. 
Um, you wouldn't maybe given more details beyond it, but I think he would have given a simple, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. Or, and, and Reinsdorf has had made a, you know, he's had a history of um, saying things that make everybody else's jobs harder to, for his own personal uh, just comfort or because he doesn't care whatever you you know make of it. But I think uh, that really will only matter if one of these uh, situations flares up in the first couple months. And then, you know, then I think you'll see some fracturing uh, just because we've seen that chain of command get tangled before with, you know, Robin Ventura, his last years, and with uh, Ozzy Guillen, his last years, uh, the Cold War between him and Kenny Williams. Just like when the chain of command is tangled, Reinsdorf isn't going to fire anybody. He's just going to make it a, a mess because, you know, the collateral damage isn't something he really seems to be concerned about. This is where hiring somebody like Tony La becomes your silver lining when you have drama in the front office and there is no clarity on who's actually pulling the trigger and calling the shots between Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn, that if Tony La Russa can draw the attention to himself in a good way and the players themselves play well on the field, then nobody's really going to care what's going on with Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn as far as decision-making uh, because quite frankly, that shouldn't impact the performance on the field at this point, because you have mm-hmm. all the players that you need, I believe, uh, to win 90 plus games in 2021. This just may come back in July. If the white Sox need to pull the trigger before the trade deadline to try to enhance the roster and what kind of move that is, uh, and what the white Sox would be willing to give up. That's the only time that I think if Rick Hahn is really not 100% in control and Jerry wants to add in his two cents or say, I think you should go acquire that guy, uh, then there could be problems. I trust Rick Hahn to make uh, trades, uh, maybe not so much free agent, but trades. I trust Rick Hahn to pull off in July, then Jerry Reinstorf coming down and say, you know what, Rick, I think we should acquire this guy. Get on the phone and make it happen. Yeah, I think that's, you know, maybe one of the signs, uh, you know, underneath this offseason is that, you know, Tony La Russa loves having a great closer, loves kind of building his pitching staff backwards almost in, in, in a certain degree. And so, you know, if you take that into account, it kind of makes more sense that they devoted so much of the offseason budget to a closer, even though they had much bigger holes in right field and DH and the back end of the rotation. So, uh yeah, that that's you know the chain of command. It, it goes back to that, and just you know if uh, the trade deadline rolls around and and you know, the front office is comfortable rolling with a certain young player in in one position, and you know Larusa doesn't trust that guy, and would rather you know um, you know devote those resources to solve that position, that front office thing is a problem. Is that going to be a case where Larusa goes over the head of the Han Williams tier of, of the hierarchy and goes straight to Reinsdorf, and then Reinsdorf comes back to him and says, "Make it happen." I mean, we've seen that kind of before. Just uh, you know, just players. Um, you know, I would say like the Paul Canerco thing in 2013. Just like he had to be on the roster. Like there's no way around it. Uh, yeah, they had to accommodate that. Just there, certain things happen and pop up that. Uh, uh, go out of order and I don't think it's very healthy and it could flare up. The hope is that, you know, when it comes to the trade deadline, the needs, if there are any, I mean, hopefully there are no needs, but 
if there is one or two, uh, the hope is that they're glaring enough to where everybody agrees what needs to happen. And uh, Yola Rusa and Reinsdorf let Han and Williams go about their business to get the guy they want. As far as this type of front office drama that we're speaking about, uh, that comes to light with a Bob Nightingale piece in the USA Today when he writes about the Chicago White Sox. I can't wait for the new nugget of information that he'll write about uh, as he he's the reporter that's got a direct line to Jerry Reinsdorf. So this is when things get unearthed and they are made public is through Bob Nightingale's writing. But I guess this is part of me maturing as a fan and as somebody that has been podcasting and writing about the White Sox now entering my eighth season doing this. Three years ago, I'd be a lot angry about this situation, Jim. Uh, But now I am really indifferent because nothing is going to change until Jerry Reinsdorf is no longer the owner of the Chicago White Sox. And I can't say that there won't be drama because look at what what has happened in Queens this offseason. Steve Cohen buys the New York Mets and they make some significant moves. But man, there's been a lot of baggage and there's been a lot of questions about the New York Mets hiring processes uh, over the last couple of years and what kind of people they've been hiring uh, that has also been unearthed. So even if the White Sox do have a new owner soon, that does not mean that there will not be front office drama. Uh, But as of right now, with Tony La Russa bonding with the White Sox, if he can... I don't want to say pull an Ozzy because Ozzy would just say stupid things just to draw attention to himself. But if LaRusa can draw attention to himself and continue to say the right things and the attention is on the player's performance on the field, then it doesn't matter what's going on in the White Sox front office until July. That's the oh, point yeah, that we're yeah. at right now. Yeah, and LaRusa, you know, that's one of his strengths throughout his career is being the bad guy. Um like just annoying other divisional rivals by complaining about pitching inside. And then, you know, he'll, you know, he, he's had his pitchers retaliate and then he'll complain about when other teams retaliate towards them. And, and he just, he doesn't really care about how he sounds. He like, you know, he likes working the refs a little bit and uh, just being that, you know, to the point of hypocrisy. And if you're on the other side, it drives you nuts. But if, if you're, you know, if you're a fan of the Cardinals, you mind it he certainly saw the benefits of that so he's not used to or he's used to being unpopular so I don't think any of this really bothers him and it, it could ultimately be a strength I think the one thing I've worried about and I wrote about this is just that you know with the Cardinals he had a history of getting into uh, spats with you know talented players like J.D. Drew and Scott Rowland and Colby Rasmus and you know, it's one thing when you do that with the Cardinals because they have a, you know, at least you know during his time there, they just had a machine of a player development system that just churned out replacements. So, you know, like J.D. Drew isn't going to work out. Uh, here's just a bunch of outfielders you've never heard of who are all of a sudden, uh, you know, above average players. Uh, same thing with Colby Rasmus too. But like the White Sox, you know, with this one-ply roster we talk about, they don't really have anybody they can afford to lose unnecessarily or shun or otherwise just... Uh, kind of spit out of their lineup rotation. So that's, I think, my biggest concern is that, you know, should he pull, uh, you know, that kind of stuff inside the organization, then that might be a problem. But for the time being, and that's why I like, you know, what I've seen so far is just that he's he's coming in and, and trying to get to know everybody and, and, and not putting his foot down and, and putting a stamp on it because, you know, I think he realizes that the team's pretty much there where they need to be uh, with the roster they, and talent they have on hand and 
how they project. So he doesn't really need to go nuts and put an identity on this team because they bonded and grew a lot together over the last two, three years. And I think uh, it's, it's mostly there. So Tony La Russa, of course, uh, not just in Chicago, but throughout the league, throughout the country that covers the sport of baseball is a pretty big topic. And of course, it's going to be one of the popular topics when people discuss the Chicago White Sox during spring training. A second topic is Michael Kopech. And Kopech spoke with the media as he arrived in Glendale. And we have video of him in the bullpen as far as uh, getting ready to go for spring training and make those appearances during spring training games again. And he spoke about his absence from last season and about being a new dad, which obviously adds a new dynamic as far as getting ready for a full season. And Kopech told the media how he learned that he needed baseball more than ever before. And this quote is from Michael Kopech. He said, I learned that I need this game a lot more than I realized. It's a lot easier said than done to take a step away from something you've done your entire life. It sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not. It's been my entire life. So taking a step back from that and realizing how big of a piece it is to this entire puzzle for me has kind of put it all in perspective and it's made me kind of regain the motivation to get back out there along with some other things that have happened in my life. I think I found that motivation that I may have lost, not that I ever completely lost it, because I never want to be known as a guy that hasn't worked really hard for everything that he's had to earn. But with this time away, I've really had the chance to come back and prove to myself, at least this is what I want to do. And I think that's a good mindset for Michael Kopech, Jim, uh, coming back from sitting out last season. Again, there was on-the-field concerns as he was recovering from Tommy John and with the ramp-up as far as spring training 2.0 put even more injury risk on him. Obviously, there was off-the-field issues, which if you want to catch up, you can just go to TMZ for that type of uh, for those types of stories. Uh, but to hear Michael Kopech, and he's always been open about his mental health and his preparation for a season, it sounds like that he has a new perspective as far as the game of baseball. And it does sound like he's pretty motivated to prove that I am the guy you thought I was before I opted out last year. Yeah, he's, yeah, I I wrote about this, uh, you know, listening to his entire uh, Zoom call. Just, I thought it was gonna be like a spare part. So I do a roundup and lead with him talking about some quotes, but the whole uh, interview or the whole conference call was, was just interesting just because, you know, he was trying to, be candid while also, you know, not mentioning the divorce and the kid and everything like that without, you know, in, in too much details. But he was trying also to be, you know, I, I guess represent it well enough without, you know, creating any, I guess, gossip mag fodder. But uh, the tough thing about like writing about him and, and talking about him is just that, you know, he does have this history of being very open about his anxiety and depression. And to his credit, that's, you know, um, yeah, it's tough for an athlete to do. And, and I imagine there are a lot more athletes like him than, uh, you know, probably what, 10 times as many as, as actually who speak about it. So it's, uh, you know, it's good that he does that. You know, at the same time, when you when you talk about him, you just, you want to kind of just know what's going on in a general sense, just because, you know, if if he has like a bad month, you know, you could say like, oh, you might be going through some tough times. Just, you know, it might be just baseball wise, might be having trouble staying closed or he might be a dead arm period. You don't want to, you know, rush to say everything's a anxiety issue when he's just having baseball problems. So I think it's good that he, 
you know, had this call just to provide some kind of overview for what's what. So we generally know how to talk about it. And it sounds like he's entirely healthy uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, the kind of shape he's in, the kind of uh, condition his arm is in. You know, I'm anticipating, you know, triple digit radar gun readings when he takes them out in the spring. Um, so, you know, that's nice to know. And, and, and it's also good to know that he seems like he's in a better place because he's, he's lived a... I wouldn't call it a richer life, but a more eventful life, you know, probably in the last three years. And a lot of people do in, you know, three decades. I mean, just ever since he's been a first round draft pick, a prep Texan right-hander gets drafted late in the first round by the Boston Red Sox is one of their top prospects. He gets suspended because he gets into a fight shortly after that. He gets traded in a blockbuster deal during the winter meetings uh, which the Red Sox acquire Chris Sale and the White Sox, of course, get Makata and Kopech. He has always been in the spotlight since that moment that he's been drafted and even more in the spotlight uh, as far as through his marriage and his divorce. And now he's a dad and that news is breaking on Instagram and you read that uh, as far as in all the entertainment news and not through your sports avenue. So, so much of his life is public and I think, you know, when you listen to Kopech and you read as far as the quotes after that press conference, Jim, it almost seems like baseball is an escape for me right now. And it gives me the opportunity to really hone in on my skill and how I got to this point in my life. And that's why I think I need baseball more than ever. <laughs> my favorite quote of his was, I wouldn't say that I've had nothing going on. <laughs> that was probably like the the I, I he didn't laugh when he said it, but but I laughed when I heard it just because it's if you don't want to talk about it but you want to acknowledge it that's pretty much the way to do it but yeah it, it's you know I think it's a good opportunity for him just you know I get the I don't know about you but like on my on my Android phone I get Google News notifications and the last four or five that involved him have been you know for his personal life from you know E Online and TMZ and, and other ones and so it's. Yeah, I imagine like it's it's an opportunity for him. He would like those notifications to be about Michael Kopech, the pitcher, not a uh, celebrity husband. Uh, so uh, it just seems like an opportunity, like a way to hit the reset button. And, and Tony LaRusso was very, uh, you know, I liked his quote about saying that they're, you know, his teammates are celebrating him being back and celebrating him being a dad. They're celebrating the way he's throwing. <laughs> you know, just like they, you know, he's, he said, it was pretty much brief. And he also said that, uh, you know, it's an open competition and whoever throws the best in, in uh, looks the best in the plate, you know, gets the job. So seems like it's all there for him and just more of a matter of, uh, you know, making sure that he can get into a, a, a throwing routine against live competition. And then from there, it's what they have planned for him. And let's talk about that. How will Segway. the White Sox use Michael Kopech this upcoming season? Well, one starting pitcher for the Chicago White Sox shared his thoughts with our friend James Vegan from The Athletic. Quote, in my opinion... He would be better suited in the bullpen for an inning or two. And then you could kind of vary his innings to match what you want to give him a full season. And if we're playing 20 games in the playoffs, you have to add those extra innings as well. End quote, said starter Dallas Keuchel. And Keuchel continued saying, I would rather see somebody else start if they're going to go five or six innings bring Mike back in for an inning or two and start adding his innings up to where, Hey, you got an inning or two at a time. Let's focus on those two and everybody else fills in the last two innings or something like that End quote. So that's Dallas Keuchel's opinion, Jim Keuchel thinks Kopech should pitch out of the bullpen 
in 2021. And let's uh, honestly, uh, there's a lot of whispers on in the grapevine right now when it comes to the White Sox and how they're going to set up their pitching rotation, especially with Michael Kopech. And during an interview this past week on ESPN 1000 in Chicago on the Sylvie and Waddle show, Rick Hahn made it sound like not only is Garrett Crochet going to be in the White Sox bullpen to start 2021, but there's also a good chance Michael Kopech will too. We've thought for a while Kopech will start the year in AAA gym, breaking off the rust as a starting pitcher and get back into that rhythm. And the way we've been talking about Garrett Crochet since we have heard those rumors that Crochet is going to be starting the 2021 season in the White Sox bullpen with hopes that he can get extended and become a starting pitcher in 2022. It sounds like, Jim, that's the same damn game plan they're going to use for Michael Kopech as they are with Garrett Crochet. How do you feel about Michael Kopech not only returning to the White Sox in 2021, but primarily pitching out of the bullpen? I would normally say that seems a little bit risky just because, you know, he mentioned Dallas Keuchel's quote and, and yeah, is, is the chain of command getting tingled further? Is he now <laughs> on Rick Hans tier? You never know what the White Sox exactly, but uh, you know, he's it's, I think it's a fair idea, but when he says, you know, whoever's going to throw five or six innings, like do the White Sox have that guy who can throw five or six innings in that fifth spot? You know, we're, right now we're talking about uh, Lopez and Rodon and just maybe, but also maybe not, you know, given the way they've thrown and, haven't been available. Uh, I think, um, you know, Lopez is going to be fun to watch just because, uh, and it's weird to say fun to watch, but just he's going to be one of those guys who I think is going to be kind of immediately apparent in uh, spring training if they can get velocity readings. Just if he's like sitting 96 and hitting 98, 99, then I think he at least has a chance. If he's sitting 94 and topping out 96, maybe not so much. That's, I think, uh, what I'm going to be watching for from him to know if he can maybe go those five to six innings. But if Rodon gets hurt and Lopez gets hurt, then I think it's harder to find that guy. And uh, I, I guess the two reasons, you know, I, I'm not objecting to it yet is one, um, we don't know exactly what's going to be going on with AAA um, and, and whether it's going to be an alternate training site set up for the first month or so of the season, depending on, you know, whether teams can operate uh you know, I, I guess, and, and, and maintain solvency uh, staging games in front of no fans for a second straight year, even if it's for a month or so. So if there's no better place to face live competition than maybe out of the White Sox bullpen, that's one thing to consider. And then there's also the, um, you know, the idea that, you know, with, with between, uh, you know, uh, LaRusa and Ethan Katz, that we don't know exactly how they approach starting pitching or like, alternatives to starting pitching if they need a fifth spot and they don't really have to, you know, between off days or maybe they have a guy they can rotate in and out of Charlotte uh, every 15 days. Maybe they're more open to openers or tandem arrangements uh, like we briefly saw last year with Lopez and Gio Gonzalez that worked out really well for one day. You know, maybe they're more inclined to use that as either patches for uh, tough stretches where people aren't available or, um, you know, possible way to get by for months at a time. So if, uh, you know, they can bring in Kopech as an opener and that's a way for to, to build up his workload, but keep him on like a starting pitching um you know, regimen and, and, you know, pregame preparation, then I can see that being a, a completely sensible way to use him. So I, I think the difference to me is that Crochet seems like he's going to be ticketed for the bullpen all year long between, you know, 
needing a good left-handed reliever and also uh, just having really no workload the past couple of years and, and having no rich history of starting the way that Kopech had in the minors. Uh, it makes sense to bring him along all year in the bullpen because he could get 70, 80 innings that way, especially if they, they make a postseason run. With Kopech, I think, you know, there is more uh, leeway to stretch him out in the starting if the, the need is there. I just wonder, given that we don't know exactly how LaRusse and Katz are going to manage pitchers, whether they see a need for a fifth starter all the time or whether they feel like they can improvise uh, if there are lean times with the depth there. And again, the fifth starter is another big spring training storyline that we will be discussing throughout uh, this camp heading to opening day. And later in the podcast, we'll talk about as far as Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon, as there's been some good reporting uh, in the last couple of days, uh, especially for both Cease and Rodon that we'll touch on later in this show. But back to Michael Kopech. And the the one point that I want to bring up about this whole situation is that the White Sox might be changing their minds here, Jim, because of the circumstances and how they're handling these young players. Uh, there is no way, no way they would entertain starting the season with Andrew Vaughn, Garrett Crochet, and Michael Kopech while rebuilding. If they were in this situation a couple of years ago, they would have been biding their time to gain an extra year of service control. You and I losing our minds again, pounding on the table. You should bring them up to the major leagues. But now we're seeing a pretty drastic, I would say, seismic shift uh, from how they're operating. And again, from us demanding that Aloy Jimenez and Luis Roberts should be called up because, my God, they're destroying double A AA and triple A pitching. There's nothing left for them to prove. And now we're at this stage in 2021, Jim, trying to convince ourselves that, yeah, Andrew Vaughn barely played any minor leagues. Sure. Have him be the opening day DH. Garrett Crochet, we saw him pitch for a few innings after getting drafted last year. Sure, have him be in the bullpen full-time in 2021. And Michael Kopech, man, he hasn't pitched in a game uh, since 2018. Have him start in the bullpen. Why not? These are the three most talented players that you have in camp out of all the players. And if you had to make a roster of the 26 most talented players, Jim, for the Chicago White Sox to start 2021, I do think Andrew Vaughn, Garrett Crochet, and Michael Kopech should be making that roster. And to me, it's just, wow, this organization has been, this is a pretty big shift from them uh, because there's no way in hell they would have entertained this a couple years ago. Yeah, and you know, part of me wishes that you know we could simulate, uh, you know, kind of have an alternate universe where there is no COVID nineteen pandemic and the minor leagues are fully functional and AAA is normal and and there was no like minor league realignment that kind of uh, uh, caused this major upheaval and all of a sudden you could just go into the same spring training and know what the White Sox would be saying if Charlotte were a stable environment and everybody had full seasons last year and, and whether they would try to squeeze those uh, or, or talk more about uh, you know having other guys get in the game and needing reps and working on defense or working on change-ups or whatever the excuses they've deployed for keeping guys in the minors for weeks or, or months, you know, we thought too long. Uh, but, you know, the world is what it is. And uh, I, I think... Based on just the 
uncertainty, like you know what what happens with AAA. Double A won't be around until May. I don't mind it. Um, it's it'll be curious, you know, when, you know, should there be struggles or should there be, um, you know, should there be like a, a case where, you know, some guy has a velocity reading that drops down a little bit. Do they maybe go onto the injured list and then bring guys up from Charlotte and just rotate guys in and out over the course of the season? Make use the uh, injured list for. Uh, roster manipulation the way they haven't done in previous years, mostly because they haven't had the depth to do it. But you've seen teams like the Dodgers and Yankees uh, and Rays really use the injured list to rotate guys in and out. I wonder if the White Sox will be doing the same thing um, just to allow guys to get breathers over the course of the full season, but you know, get a six-month season in uh, when their bodies more, you know, in the case of like Andrew Vaughn, you know, you really don't worry about the body so much as you do about like, you know, adjustments and, and the grind of a six month season, just having these guys fresh for the whole year, even if they're being called up maybe prematurely based on their track records and injury histories. Well, again, if Michael Kopech looks sharp and he's hitting a hundred, one Oh one, one Oh two on the radar gun during these spring training performances, I think it's pretty realistic, Jim, to start telling white Sox fans. Yeah. Michael Kopech is going to be on the opening day roster for the Chicago White Sox, but he's going to be pitching out of the bullpen and not be that fifth starter. So it does raise the question, and Jim was touching on it a little earlier, and how will the White Sox starting pitching staff shake out? Let's address that next after a quick word from our sponsors. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. We left off discussing the idea of Michael Kopech starting the season with the Chicago White Sox, but pitching out of the bullpen instead of starting. But what does that mean for the White Sox starting rotation? And Jim was talking about this just a few minutes earlier. This is the third big storyline to follow along during spring training. And Jim, I wonder with the fifth starting spot, and you were talking about as far as openers and trying to implement some methods that the Tampa Bay Rays have utilized and obviously worked out really well for the Rays in 2020. I know it was a shortened season. I did pick them to win the American League pennant because I thought if there's any team that can embrace chaos the best, it would be the Rays in a sprint. Maybe these same type of methods don't work over 162 game season, but are we finally going to get a chance to see the White Sox implement some of these techniques that you and I have been hoping that they would at least uh, experiment with uh, over the last couple of seasons? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one thing I'm going to be going into when looking at Tony La Russa's history with the Cardinals, especially um, you know, the last couple of years. And Lance Lynn talked about it when going into the postseason during uh, La Russa's last season in St. Louis, that he was just, uh, you know, he was ahead of the game when it came to using the bullpen uh, heavier and, 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 you know, going to a guy like Lynn for multiple innings uh, when he hadn't spent the season with the Cardinals, he, he placed a lot of trust in a guy for a rookie, you know, in big situations. So he's got the history of 
improvising or being comfortable um, making up as he goes along, even if, yeah, or it looks like making up as he goes along, but yeah, I think some of his staunchest allies would say it's really just preparation and, and learning what each guy has each day. That's really, you know, like Miguel Cairo has praised him for just being more prepared and, and knowing how to win more than anybody. And I think that's might, that might be how it manifests itself. That's I think what I'm most, probably what I'm most excited about, you know, given uh, the change from Rick Renteria, who's, um, you know, he had one pretty much one way of going about managing a pitching staff and a rotation, and the White Sox never gave him the guys to make that work. And I feel a little bit bad for him. I feel a little bit bad for him that he was stuck with Don Cooper, like uh, that he didn't get a chance to hire his own guy or have an Ethan Katz come in and work with him. He was basically tethered to the same guy, uh, took over the job, had no say in it. But that's, um, I guess, uh, just one of the... Uh, I, you know, he's kind of caught in between a manager they hired and then the pitching coach is there for a whole time. And it makes sense just to turn over the entire era and go to somebody new, um, even if LaRusso maybe doesn't count as new. Well, part of this storyline when it comes to the White Sox starting rotation is that we have to pay attention or pay close attention to the adjustments both Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez make. And you spoke about Lopez a little earlier in the show, Jim. Uh, but there's a lot of attention on new White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. Can he work some magic like he did working with Lucas Giolito and help Giolito through his transformation to go from one of the league's worst starting pitchers to one of the league's best starting pitchers? Can that magic work on someone like Dylan Cease and Yasmani Grandal? And I spoke with Grandal when the White Sox signed him in the 2020 Sox Fest, and I asked him about Dylan Cease, and we we wrote about as far as his thoughts about Cease in 2020 and some ideas that he had to try to help Dylan Cease through his progression. And obviously those things did not work because Cease continued to struggle. But Grandal thinks that Cease has a chance to be a Cy Young contender in 2021. So something has drastically must have changed from Grandal's point of view uh, to think that Cease could if he can continue as far as these progressions and if it sticks while they play games in the regular season to have the skills to be a scion contender, if Cease impresses in spring training games, Jim, is that enough for you to be confident in his ability to help solidify the back end of the White Sox rotation? No, just because he did it last year. He, he showed the excellent fastball command for an extended stretch during the first spring training. Then he had a really good game throwing, you know, sliders and curveballs for strikes and swinging strikes uh, in, during the summer training. So to, you know, go into this spring and then, you know, see him come, you know, come armed with great fastball command one game or the, the good breaking ball another game and uh, over the course of two, three innings at a time. I've seen that before, so I think I'd need to see more. Uh, however, you know, the one thing he didn't do uh, between the two uh, training camps is have really good command two outings in a row. So maybe he'll change my mind if, you know, two out of three, he shows the kind of fastball command or gets a swinging strikes through the, the fastball that he didn't get last year. That's another thing that might change my mind. But I think when it comes to Cease, I think uh, the proof is going to be during the regular season just because, you know, there's you know, there's live competition for one against the you know, other major league teams in a major league setting. But also I think 
probably when you're doing like the mechanical work that Cease does, I imagine some of the uh, challenge in implementing these changes uh, is actually maintaining them. You know, over the course of a season, over the course of, uh, you know, fatigue or not feeling right, being able to have them feel natural enough, the muscle memory be there to hold up under just the normal strain of a year. So I think when it, when it comes to Cease, I'm really thinking like late April will tell me just how much I should believe in him. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Gavin Floyd, uh, going back to like his first years with the Sox when they traded for him and he came up his first couple months at the end of the 2007 season, he looked like a mess. But the next year, like he was basically the real deal the entire season. A little bit frustrating here and there, but uh, really a pleasant surprise. I think Cease can be the same way where just maybe a little bit like a... Uh, you know, miscalibrated pitching machine, <laughs> you know, like we saw from the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, just maybe an off-season of concentrated work with a new voice, maybe is enough to, to get it done. But I also don't want to place, um, yeah, I want to see Ethan Katz prove some things too before I really start hyping him up, just because I think there is risk of going a little bit overboard and thinking that, you know, Lucas Giolito's story can be so simple with other guys. Right. It doesn't mean that it's going to translate for other pitchers. What has worked for Giolito may not work for Dylan Cease. So I'm excited to see Cease and excited to see some of the type of adjustments that he's been working on with Cats. Same thing with Ronaldo Lopez. But Cease and Lopez are not the only starting pitchers for the Chicago White Sox that Ethan Katz is asking them to make some significant adjustments. And that pitcher is Carlos Rodon. And Katz said this in his interview with the Chicago Sun-Times over the weekend regarding Carlos Rodon, saying that Rodon gets very quad dominant and he gets in his toe and then he gets very cross-fired, and he had the issue staying healthy, obviously. There was some stuff in the lower half we wanted to address, and the minute we signed him back, we've been on the phone talking and going through that process, and now we're here and we'll be able to work hands-on. He's starting to understand how his lower half is supposed to move more efficiently, and it's going to take time. When you've done something for a long time, it's hard to get out of that. But over time, we hope we can tap into things that he hasn't been able to do. It might not click overnight. It's a big adjustment. Okay, Jim. Out of all the players for a competitive White Sox team that you and I have podcasted, which has included the 2015 and 2016 seasons, and we can also include last season as well, as we thought the White Sox with the expanded postseason should have made the postseason, and they did. Carlos Rodon has my lowest expectations I've ever had for a Chicago White Sox player. And when I read what Katz is saying, I understand what the adjustments that Katz is talking about, that Carlos Rodon has no idea on how to use his lower half. And he is 28 years old. And this is the last thing that you want to hear from your 2014 first round pick from your new White Sox pitching coach. And Kat's pretty much telling Rick Hahn and Tony DeRusa, sure, we can sign Rodon. I think I have some ideas on how to fix him, but the lower half is a complete mess. And if you are going to be contending, and if Carlos Rodon's going to be your fifth starter, I'm sorry, you do not have time for him to figure it out which goes right back into our conversation, Jim. How do you use this fifth starter spot? And I think, honestly, on something that the Rays have done, maybe Carlos Rodon is your opener, Jim. 
maybe you can only trust Rodon to throw 50 pitches and try to get through two to three innings before you give the ball to Kopech, and then Kopech gets the ball to Crochet. And by then, you're in the seventh or eighth inning, and then you can use as far as your high-leverage relievers like Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, and then hopefully they can be the bridge to hand it off to Liam Hendricks, and boom! You just won a game with your fifth starter spot, and tomorrow, Lucas Giolito's on the mound, and after him, you got Lance Lynn, and the bullpen can relax. Are you saying you had higher expectations for Dylan Covey? Yeah, I did. Well, was Covey on a contending White Sox team? Oh, contending White Sox team. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say no. Sorry, but I missed I, that point. Okay, I, yeah. Again, and, and I mentioned this when the White Sox signed him, Jim. This may be a hot take, but I think the White Sox have lit $3 million on fire bringing back Carlos Rodon. And I don't know if he's going to stick around for the entire season, if he can't figure it out, because I understand what Katz is saying. This is a big adjustment for Carlos Rodon. And he's going to have to learn on how to pitch this new way during spring training. But I'm sorry, the 2021 Chicago White Sox cannot wait around to see if Carlos Rodon's got this figured out. And if you can't trust him to throw five innings, that's fine. Can he at least get you through the second or third inning? Because if he can, great. Then get the ball to somebody else in the bullpen and just go down that line and try to win as many games that you possibly can out of your fifth starter spot until Larusa or Han or somebody within the White Sox organization says enough is enough. Let's go trade for another starting pitcher in July. Yeah, I guess it's kind of similar to Matt Latos, just kind of similar exactly. role where you're just hoping to get something out of him and accept that set up the James Shields trade. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, when, I, when, I, when I read that story about the uh, with Rodon and the Sun-Times headline was White Sox have new ideas for left-hander Carlos Rodon, I thought new ideas was maybe the usage thing, like you're talking about with the opener. Like uh, maybe having him start because I think moving him to the bullpen isn't a good idea. I don't think he's a natural for the bullpen. I don't really know. Yeah, given just how a lot of his um, issues seem to stem from not really having a, a great routine or not forming one in college or not you know forming one during his very brief time in the minor league system and then trying to make it up as he goes along, I don't think he's a guy who you know, he has a little comfortable coming out of the bullpen and it just there isn't really a reason to believe that it can be an easy switch for him. So I thought yeah like like you said that maybe just you know starting him for the, every fifth day but starting him with the idea of like if he provides three innings terrific you know anything more is gravy uh be prepared for less and then see if he builds up or if that just needs to be the the way they go about doing that but no then i saw all the work about his lower half and just think that's a lot of work for it's a lot of work yeah and uh you know i, I remember Rodon last year with talking about core velocity belts and James Fegan. I think it's, I'm guessing it was James Fegan article because he's talking about pitcher tech, but just talking about how Rodan was, you know, curious about it, but just not really embracing it. So, you know, with, with, you know, his talk about cats and being encouraged about it, but not really, you know, saying there's a, he's working on it and working on get to feel right. Like that doesn't sound like a guy who's opening day ready to me. So yeah, I, I'm kind of with you in that. I think, you know, maybe you can get an interesting experience out of him, like a more, um, yeah, I'm more optimistic for a White Sox existence in which he serves an opener role against a more flexible or, or under a more flexible administration uh, who is willing to manage him for two or three innings at a time. 
But yeah, if they're just you trying to get him to throw five, six innings, if, if he's trying to be that guy that Dallas Keuchel described as the somebody who can keep Kopech in the bullpen, that seems like a mistake to me. If Carlos Rodon is the fifth starter to start 2021, the Chicago White Sox offense needs to be mentally prepared that they need to score seven plus runs in order to win that game. I'm just looking at their schedule now. They know they have a West Coast trip to start, so maybe that's not the best. Uh... <laughs> I think that second yeah. series is against Seattle, and then they start the season against the Royals. I did not print the schedule. I'm packing right now, so I'm trying to have less clutter. <laughs> yeah, let me look moment. it up just to see what kind of introduction but, he would get or that fifth spot would get. So we're talking about, yes. Right, and again, if everything is ideal, it's your fifth starter spot against the other team's fifth starter spot. And there are so many teams in the American League, Jim, that have this same problem. There's nobody dependable to round out our starting rotation. So these could be higher scoring games. But just what Ethan Katz is saying about Carlos Rodon, I believe I think Ethan Katz is 100% correct. These are the adjustments Carlos Rodon needs to make, mm-hmm. and it will take time. But this is why I thought it would be best for Carlos Rodon to sign with another team that can, you know, work with him over an entire season to make these significant adjustments, not only for him to pitch better, but to remain healthy because health is such a big issue still for Carlos Rodon. But for a competing team or a team that has World Series aspirations, I'm sorry, you cannot wait around and see if Carlos Rodon can figure it out. the The leash is short. Yeah. And looking at the uh, the April schedule, it's pretty soft. You know, it'd be the Mariners and then maybe the Royals, depending on how they manage an off day, and then uh, Indians, Red Sox, Indians, Rangers, Tigers, Indians again. So, you know. Depending on what kind of lineup the Indians have, I think it could go a long way. It's hard to tell exactly what the uh, Cleveland is is bringing out there, just because they have um, some uncertainty with who their middle infield is going to be, and then you know whether like a guy like Josh Naylor can step into any kind of role. So they have an offense to me that seems depleted, but you know might be a little bit feistier than they get credit for. Uh, hard to say, but I, I think the at least opening month is fairly soft where they have a fighting chance to get something working in that fifth spot with Rodon in the mix, but just not in a traditional role. I think I'm a bit more optimistic than you about Rodon, yeah, maybe about their expectations for Rodon and hoping that between the long season, the 60-game uh, season last year, uh, a normal amount of off days that they will manage... Uh, the expectations accordingly and not try to get every inning out of him possible in the early going. Well, fingers crossed because our fourth storyline to discuss as far as entering spring training. And let's go back to our poll again. Our show poll was what do you think is the most important thing to watch the spring training for the Chicago White Sox? And again, you could follow us on Twitter at Sox machine and follow me on Twitter at Sox machine underscore Josh. And now I will share with you, Jim, the results 14.4% of our followers say the most important storyline is Tony LaRusso's ability to bond with the team. 25% is the plan for Andrew Vaughn and Michael Kopech. 29.5% is Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez's adjustments working with Ethan Katz. The number one story, according to our listeners and fans, 
for the 2021 spring training for the Chicago White Sox is Yoan Mikata. And boy, Yoan Mikata is making an introduction this spring. <laughs> Yes, that's Yoan Mikata's new hot single that was just released uh, and his music video. And Yoan Mikata, Jim, is now a renaissance man. He plays professional baseball. He's recording new music and he's going to be a South Florida fashion icon with the man rambas. Uh, I cannot pull off that look. So I, you know, go for it, Mikata. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a specific demographic who can pull off the way that you and Mikata looks, but Hey, he looks good. Section 108. (laughs) Exactly. But it's not about Mikata's new single on what white Sox fans are thinking about when it comes to the starting third baseman. Our fans, listeners, and I think everyone associated with the White Sox wants to see if Mikata is fully recovered from his COVID symptoms from the 2020 season. He has said that he feels a lot better than he did at the end of last season, and he's ready to return to his 2019 form. But Jim, you know, with Dylan Cease and the adjustments, we have to take it with a grain of salt during spring training because you're right. We saw Cease pitch great in spring training, even spring training 2.0, and it didn't translate in the regular season. How are we going to know if Makata is back to his 2019 form prior to opening day? Well, you can't really trust the numbers in spring training just because guys struggle or excel for different reasons, some real, some not. So a lot depends on the level of competition and who they're facing, who uh, other teams are throwing out there. Uh, so there are a lot of barrages during spring training. So you know, if, if Makata has like a terrible, you know, couple weeks where he, you know, strikes out and 35% of his bats and, you know, goes uh, two for 21, people are going to panic. And, you know, that, that there might be a reason to, but there also just might not be. I, I think it's going to rely a lot on the eye test, a lot on how he's moving, how the, the bat speed looks, because a lot of times last year it looked like he was swinging like a, a railroad tie, just getting that bat through the zone. And we saw with him, you know, going down the first baseline, looking winded after, you know, doubles and triples, you know, scoring from first. I, I think some of that should be evident just by watching him, whether the the dynamic aspects of his play, uh, the the bat speed, um, the foot speed, the acceleration, whether that's all back and sustainable game to game. That's, I think, what I would be looking for. Results, you know, ideally you'd see some great results and you'd see the batting eye, uh, the, the walks stay up and the strikeouts come down and, and him hitting like 320 again with a you know great on-base percentage and great slugging percentage. But I think for the early going, it's going to be mainly just about how he looks how he's moving and and what people say about him, you know, whether it's Mankata himself, whether it's uh, you know teammates talking about what they've seen year over year. I think it'll be a popular topic, and I think I would trust their uh, assessments as well, just because I think a lot of people were a little bit alarmed about just how out of it Mankata looked and how much of a an operation from the training room on down it was just to maintain him in the lineup for the entire season. 
yeah, we may look back at that 2020 season and say the numbers for Yohan Mikata were, let's say what they were, terrible for his talent level. But the fact that he was able to play as many games as he did for the White Sox dealing with COVID uh, is something that we'll have to remember when we look back as far as in his career and just how impressive that he was able to play as many games as he did. And I am with you, Jim. I think it's really going to depend on the eye test. If Makata is ready to go for a 162 game season, if there are shots in the clubhouse on the web streams or on the television broadcast, is he breathing heavy? If he goes from first to third, or if he scores all the way from first base, if he tries that uh, type of running situation in spring training. And uh, if he looks like he's back to normal, even though we may not, you know, see the, high amount of results that we want to see in spring training where he's batting over 300 and he's hit a few home runs in Glendale. Even if we don't see that, I'm with you. If, if he looks physically fit and he doesn't look winded playing the game, then I have some confidence that there's an opportunity for him to return to his 2019 form. But if he looks tired and we're hearing stories in March that he's going to have to skip out some games as he's recovering, then I am a little pessimistic if he can return to his 2019 form, Jim, just because I don't even know how many games that Mikata would be able to play if he's still suffering from COVID symptoms. So fingers crossed that health-wise, Mikata is returned to his 2019 form because I think that gives him a far better shot of having that type of 2019 performance. And we got a question from Mark Hope on Patreon asking if Mankata will use his own song for his at-bat music or is that too gauche? He better. (laughs) The only reason I would say no is because it's called Personal Disaster. (laughs) Yeah, translated in English, yeah. Yeah. Personal Disaster, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's just a little bit, you know, he's inviting a little bit too much uh, symbolism there, but... If if he's talking about maybe 2020 and, and, you know, putting that behind him, then perhaps... Uh, and, and no harm, no foul, and and it's a good marketing opportunity. And maybe there'll be like uh, cars around the concourse selling singles out of the trunk, <laughs> like the old days. That'd be great. Oh uh, well, I'm sure you. If there are fans this year uh, at Guarantee Ray Field, I am sure uh, the press box uh, will be playing Mikata's music uh, during the season, and I'm sure there'll be fun videos coming up on his teammates listening to his new single and, and what they think of it. But we'll be discussing these four storylines and other storylines as the weeks progress during spring training with their preview episodes upcoming. Our first position preview is going to be the Chicago White Sox starting pitchers, which will be next week's episode. So a lot more conversation about Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn and Dallas Keuchel and continuing on our conversation that we had this week with Dylan Cease, Renato Lopez, Carlos Rodon, maybe Michael Kopech, who else could be starting games for the 2021 Chicago White Sox? We'll try to answer those questions on next week's episode. But you guys had questions for us, so let's answer them next in P.O. Sox after a quick word from our sponsors. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. 
You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Sox Machine. And for those that support us at Patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And as always, thank you guys so much for your support. We're really close to a milestone in Patreon supporters. We're really close to 500. And we'll have more details of what's upcoming for our Patreon supporters and our new Patreon supporters. But let's answer some of your guys' questions as you flooded our mailbox. And Jim's been doing a terrific job answering questions during the offseason for our Patreon supporters in the Rin P.O. Sox mailbag. But Jim, the first question that we have in P.O. Sox for this episode comes from Mark Jontry. And Mark's a Patreon supporter. So Mark, thank you so much for your support. And Mark's asking if the bullpen performs as expected and the White Sox are otherwise healthy, what starting pitcher or position players do you see the White Sox possibly targeting at the trade deadline? Well, it seems like Seattle might have a number of players in the block. I don't know if you've seen that story. No kidding. No kidding. You know, Good Lord. We, we had that conversation at the beginning of the show with the White Sox front office drama, and I said that there's no way that Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn are going to shine any more light on how that process went. Maybe that's a good thing after what has transpired in Seattle. Yeah, if, uh, if if you haven't heard about this when you're listening to it, that uh, Seattle's one of one of their top executives basically spoke to a Rotary Club and told a bunch of tales out of school, just talking about uh, you know, all sorts of things, talking you know, belittling the neighborhood and the homeless population in Seattle, and uh, talking about uh, you know, Japanese players uh, being too reliant on interpreters and. Uh, uh, Latin players not speaking English, <laughs> just Kyle Seeger is apparently gone, and Kyle Seeger was not did not know about that. Neither did his wife. <laughs> just uh, you know, players signing a uh, uh, pre uh, player signing for too little money, um, uh, free agent signing wanting too much money and having to come down to demand. Just all sorts of awful stuff. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of players who are going to be unhappy about what's being said, and and who knows how that's going to happen, but. Yeah, take a look at Seattle's roster and maybe look at uh, Marco Gonzalez or something like that and see a picture you like. But yeah, no kidding. Uh, the thing that jumped out to me was just you know if the White Sox, when you look at how they built the roster this offseason, you know very reliant on one year deals and not over committing to anybody really aside from Liam Hendricks. I wonder if that's going to bleed into the uh, trade deadline. And you saw so many pitchers. You know, we we talked about all those pitchers signing one-year deals, and if they're going to be flipped, like even Jake Arrieta, you know, kind of a blast from the past, the Cubs signing him for a year. He was signed, uh, or actually the Cubs uh, traded for him by signing Scott Feldman on a one-year deal and flipping him. So, you know, that could be kind of a circle of life thing with the Cubs trading Arietta. But so many of these pitchers went everywhere in one-year deals that I wonder if some of them will be back on the market afterwards. And if the White Sox, you know, have this in mind where they're just trying to build for... 2021 and then they'll see what happens with the cba before uh expanding their payroll further or committing to free agents for more than you know one year who aren't closers then you know that might be their strategy where they just look for the best rental of the market um 
and, and you know, I talked about you know, when, when looking at position players, the one guy I still like for this lineup is Brandon Belt. Just thinking that he could be somebody who fits really well in in American League Park, specifically you know a park like Guaranteed Rate, which is very favorable for left-handed hitters. You know, he's basically a first base, and they don't need that. But you know, should they need a corner outfielder, he could maybe fill in there and, and be somebody of service. So uh, especially like in a smaller right field, because. Uh, you know, Oracle Park in San Francisco, very challenging right field to somebody who isn't used to that. So uh, maybe they could squeeze him over there. But just somebody I think fits really well in the White Sox lineup. And should there be a need for a left-handed bat with patience and maybe surprising power out of San Francisco, uh, he's somebody I like and maybe can be available if the Giants are finding the Padres and Dodgers a little bit too tough to tackle. If Adamine gets hurt... And or and or is not performing well. He's performing more like his 2020 self. And Andrew Vaughn continues to struggle, or I shouldn't say continues to struggle. If Andrew Vaughn struggles uh, to start as the White Sox DH, I wonder if because there seems to be a lot more trades going on between these two teams. If there's another White Sox Texas Rangers deal, and I wonder if Joey Gallo. And how long he's going to stick around in Texas, Jim? Because next year is his final year of arbitration, and then it, then he becomes a free agent after the 2022 season. The White Sox have already made one trade with the Texas Rangers, thinking they have shored up right field. If Adamine doesn't work out, I wonder if that would also be a possibility, or if they are still struggling at the DH spot, uh, if they would pick up the phone and, Try to make another trade with the Texas Rangers. Yeah, it's possible since, I mean, like he could be in line for a pretty uh, you know, pretty lucrative earnings, basically with his you know, home run totals through arbitration. Just might be somebody who, I think he's a tough, you know, when you look at his averages, you know, 209, 206, 253, 181. Like he's hard. Yeah, like, it's all yeah, over the place. Yeah, it's all over the place. And also just like, you know, he got really good defensively, won a gold glove. Like he wasn't supposed to be able to do that in the outfield. And sure enough, uh, you know, he's really turned into a hell of an outfielder. But just when you look at his skills, um, just reminds me a little bit, you know, not defensively, but offensively of like Adam Dunn and just the tolerance a fan base has for a hitter with that low of an average and who provides his value in in ways that are you know if, if you know what you're looking for it's fun to watch uh if if you're not really you know into defensive metrics or if you're not into uh you know walks and homers and you like maybe just more diversified offensive attack he's really just kind of the worst player to watch uh yeah, I just wonder, you know, given the experience the White Sox have had with players like him, whether there's an appetite to invest what's necessary in a player like Gallo. But yeah, he could be a good fit depending on how much, uh, you know, they need from you know, uh, from his defensive skills specifically. Because offensively, I think the White Sox will have homers. I think uh, uh, they really don't need that kind of all-or-nothing approach at the plate. It's more a matter of just whether they want, uh, you know, some impact and also like a good glove out there. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your question. Our next question in the mailbag comes from Southpaw Jackson. And Southpaw is asking us, Jim, is it just me? Or do you think Michael Kopech could take the path Zach Greinke did when he was with the Kansas City Royals many moons ago, where he used last season to get in a better mental state and he will bloom into the dominant pitcher from here? 
It's possible. I, I think Granky is kind of a good role model for him in that, you know, you, you, you talk about a guy who's, uh, he also kind of became disenchanted with baseball early on in his Kansas City career. Um, a little bit for, yeah, I would say for different reasons with, with, uh, with, with Granky, it was more of a matter of just being, you know, almost like he couldn't keep himself entertained on the field and just, you know, really had to try to figure out how to make baseball fun for himself because he excelled when he was engaged. But, you know, their you know, teammates have all sorts of crazy stories about things he did just to make it interesting for himself. And, you know, it just, you, you'd maybe call him an oddball and such and, 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 and just, yeah, the behavior was strange, but I think he just kind of learned to embrace what worked for him. Uh, I think the the Royals got used to him and, and acclimated to what he needed uh, for support, and you know he's turned into a pitcher who could make the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, with with Kopech, I think it's more of a matter of just you know, I think he's coming. You know, I, I think his issues with. Uh, being in, in the right frame of mind, maybe come from a little bit of a different place. But I think the idea is there where he needs to make the game fun for himself and stay engaged, not really pay attention to how people criticize him for, uh, you know, what he's needed to shore himself up on the uh, mental side of the game. So I think there is a parallel there uh, between the two. I don't think you're going to have the kind of stories that people have about Granky about Kopech. I think Kopech, uh, his success is going to be a lot more straight. You're not going to see like, you know, EFIS pitches and, uh, you know, making wagers about what he's going to throw hitters to, uh, you know, try to hit the radar gun right on the, uh, right on the nose, you know, basically trying to hit like, I think there's a story about him trying to hit like hit every single like velocity reading with his curveball from like, uh, 62 to 74 miles per hour or something like that. Like he was just looking at the radar gun, just, you know, basically playing a, uh, a game with himself within the game. Uh, he's not going to be somebody who provides that kind of material for years to come, but I think there is the the parallel there. I, I wouldn't say maybe I wouldn't put Hall of Fame expectations on him, but having that kind of just unlocking his talent because he managed to figure out the the way to keep himself engaged over the course of full season and, and be able to handle failure. Because that was the other thing with Granky too, is just um, you know not enjoying it enough to handle failure. And I think. Uh, with with Kopech, you know, if he really is uh, feeling like he's in the right headspace for it, and he's not reading anything about him and about his personal life, this might be what he needs to just uh, turn the corner and be able to handle bad starts at a time without the uh, or with the anxiety, depression, whether they don't resurface or if they resurface, having a better handle on them. What's up, Paul? Thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Steve Bennett, and Steve is asking, Jim, if the White Sox would be were to be like the Rays and churn some stars in order to extend their window, for example, the Blake Snell trade this past offseason, who is the star most likely to be dealt? I'm thinking ahead to next winter after they had a chance to see the minor leaguers play some games. Well, I think the natural one is Lucas Giolito just because he is not yet under an extension. I mean, even extensions aren't necessarily guaranteed because Blake Snell signed one and they still traded him, but he would strike me as the most natural case just because he would be getting expensive through arbitration. His trade value would be really high and they would just use him to spin it forward and you replace him in the rotation with somebody who 
Needs a little bit of polish, but could get to the same heights and also maybe get a secondary player who also fills in the lineup, perhaps. Uh, on the pitching side, it's uh, Giolito. I think by now Abreu would have been traded already just because the you know when, when the Rays are being in the Rays, they're basically picking up guys off waivers, turning them into 30 home run guys, or maybe 20 home run guys, um, you know, maybe in a platoon situation or other, some sort of, some form of a timeshare, and then either uh, trading them or designating them for assignment because they're too expensive and replacing them. So I think Abreu, he probably would have been traded by now. And, you know, given that he won the MVP last year, we're better off for him not being traded. And then, you know, you look at their their glut of players at DH, first base, left field. I think they would probably try to find a way to free up that, whether it's trading Eloy Jimenez, trading uh, Andrew Vaughn, perhaps. I could see them finding some kind of way to uh, finally, you know, winnow through the excess at the position and figure out how to solve other positions with the same amount of talent. That would be the three areas of this roster I'd look at and say, um, you know, that's where they're going. And also they wouldn't have signed Liam Hendricks. So if, if Hendricks could be traded, <laughs> uh, they would deal him away too. I think he's got a no trade clause though for this season. Yes. Yep. But next season, I think he's got a no trade clause for 10 teams. And then his third season, it's down to five. If I'm yes. remembering correctly. So, yep. But yeah, the, the Rays like, you know, building closers, spinning them off. So that would be the same thing. Right. I don't see the White Sox, Steve, making these type of moves. But if you got a chance to listen to the previous podcast in which Jim sat down with the Athletics Keith Law, and Keith is pretty optimistic about the future of the White Sox farm system, even though he has it ranked in the bottom 10. But I think on the flip side, instead of churning some stars, if you're looking at prospects the White Sox could possibly flip in July... Somebody like Matthew Thompson, in which Law picked as his breakout <laughs> candidate for the White Sox uh, this upcoming minor league season. Yeah, although Thompson brings back the in, in the Patreon segment of uh, the, the Keith Law interviews, uh, he was asked about being on Fernando Tatis Jr. earlier than other prospect evaluators, and that would kind of bring the same thing to mind. Like, oh, he's been hyping up Thompson before everybody else. Don't trade him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very true. Very true. But Steve, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. And you can help support Sox Machine as far as the website and the podcast by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where we have several different tiers in which you will receive additional content. You get an ad-free version of this podcast for those that enjoy as far as the Major League Baseball draft and learning about the prospects during the season every single Wednesday for our Patreon uh, supporters, exclusive to Patreon supporters. I'll be having the recap every single week as far as the activity for the top Major League Baseball draft prospects as it was major, it was the college baseball uh, opening day this past weekend. So there's a ton of notes that I'll be sharing with you guys on Wednesday for our Patreon supporters. Plus, Jim, we're going to have new swag coming. Would you like to make this announcement as they are currently uh, being made as we speak? Yes, I think on both our ends. Yeah, we're coming out with a Sox Machine hoodie. 
on my end and then on your end. What so do we have? are going to be having pennants for the first time. Yes, socks machine pennants. And for our Patreon supporters and for new Patreon supporters, uh, it is a way to celebrate surviving the Chicago White Sox rebuild with us, highlighting all of the players that we have gotten to watch during the White Sox rebuild on a pretty sharp looking pennant. And of course, the big shout out to Billy O'Keefe, Billy O'Kay, uh, for his excellent design work. And uh, yeah, I am hoping to have these pennants sometime later this week. So we'll have some pictures for you guys that we'll share on social media. So if you currently support us at what tier for Patreon, Jim? $5. So if you currently support us at $5 a month, uh, you'll get one. Uh, and if you, again, if you're listening to this and you enjoy your work and you're thinking, hey, I'd love to support you guys, go to patreon.com slash machine, sign up for the $5 tier, uh, and then you'll get some swag from us and you'll get our new socks machine pennant. So I'm, I'm really excited in what it will look like. Uh, and if you can't commit to a, again, a monthly, uh, as far as Patreon support, as Jim mentioned, uh, we'll have socks machine hoodies that you can purchase. Uh, and also think about buying a socks machine t-shirt because I'm going to be moving soon and it would be great if I don't have to move these shirts with me. Uh, so please buy that merchandise on the website as well. But that's a couple of ways you can support I us. I will say that, and I will say that uh, when it comes to hoodies, they will go on Patreon first. So that's a good way to get in, you know, get in line, <laughs> cut in line, uh, priority pass. Uh, for the socks machine hoodies is I usually put them on, uh, unveil them on Patreon a day or two in advance and let you get first yes. dibs. So again, we are really close to a Patreon milestone. Thank you to everyone that has been supporting socks machine on Patreon. Uh, since Jim has relaunched socks machine and we have moved over from our previous site and doing all the podcasting and everything, we got some big plans for this upcoming season uh, so your support goes a really long way and we are trying to trying to do as much as we possibly can as far as in socks machine swag and exclusive content to make it worthwhile for you guys. So again, for those that are listening that are not Patreon supporters and after our long ramble, you're like, yeah, I'd love to support Josh and Jim. Go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this Socks Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Next week, Jim and I will, will be previewing the Chicago White Sox starting pitching staff. So if you have questions or if you have ideas on how the White Sox should address as far as this position unit, again, hit us up on Twitter at Socks Machine and also in the comments section on SoxMachine.com and, of course, through the Patreon channels as well as that new podcast episode will be released next Monday. And if you just discovered the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you can take some time and give us a review, we'd love to have that. And the Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Macy's Star Money Bonus Days are happening now. It's a special time when Star Rewards members earn bonus points and get to their next reward faster. 
You'll get $10 in star money for every $50 spent with a Macy's card or $10 for every $100 spent as a bronze member. Shop Spring Styles and get rewarded with star money. Now through April 18th, Macy's Star Rewards. It's how we love you back. Visit Macy's.com slash star money for exclusions and details. 